0: So we've got two Bible readings this morning. The first is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, and that's on page 1814 of your black Bibles in the seats, or it'll be on the screen behind me. So Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And the second reading is from Colossians, Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 14, and that will be our page 1831, or again on the screen behind me. So Colossians chapter 3, 1 to 14. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God.
1: Uh, As in last week, let's uh, do some nailed-it practice. I've got a quiz question for you to start. A who am I question. Again, if you know it, don't shout it out. Smug smiles, all you need to do. Uh, I was born on the 8th of January, 1935. My identical brother was stillborn. He arrived 35 minutes before me. As a child, I was part of the Assemblies of God Church. For my 10th birthday, I wanted a bike or a rifle, I was given a guitar. When I was 13, I moved to Memphis. There we lived for a whole year in rooming houses before we were finally given a public bedroom house. When I was 19, I tried out for the local song quartet and failed. They told me I couldn't sing. At 21, I released the single Heartbreak Hotel. Many see it as my big break. I died on the 16th of August 1977. I've sold more solo albums than any other artist. Best guess is somewhere around one billion sales. I am, of course, the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. Who are you? It's a question I've been asking you to think through. ...over the last week or so. Before we get into today, I just want to flag again for you this book, Known by God. I found this a really useful book in helping me to think through the question of who I am. Uh, I'd love you to um, uh, uh, come and see this book or get more information if you're a reader... ...and you want to take a little bit more of a look at this topic. I also should say thanks to Tim Keller today. I've been standing on his shoulders in some of uh, what uh, we are looking at today. We've already heard from Jonathan and Wes and Marge, about who they are, I hope over the past week you've been able to think through a little bit about who you are as a person. Perhaps you're a son or a daughter, a mother or a father. Maybe you're a doctor or an electrician or a banker or a paramedic or a mum who stays at home or a photographer or a dancer or a bushwalker or a poet. And maybe you're a whole lot of those things all rolled together. Because each of us is made up of lots of little bits. We'll hold on to some, I think, more critically than others. Last week I suggested that in our culture, to find our identity, we're asked to look into ourselves. And our culture gives us great freedom because of that. It's a good thing. But it's not without its challenges, is it? See, knowing yourself can be tricky. And sometimes when you look into yourself, you might not always like what you find. And that can be painful and challenging. I think the narrative of our culture is to look into yourself, find out who you are, and then live out that identity. Here's another challenge with our identity. Nearly every aspect of our identity, apart from perhaps family nearly every aspect of our identity needs to be earned. It's not achieved. Well, it is achieved. Let me explain what I mean. If you look into into yourself deeply and you find that you're caring and good-natured and friendly and not appalled by the sight of blood, that's what you see when you look into yourself, then perhaps you'll say, I should choose an occupation like being a nurse. You should choose that as part of your identity. But choosing that occupation alone, that doesn't make you a nurse. To become that, you need to earn or achieve that identity. So in the case of a nurse, you'll need to go to uni. You'll need to practice what you've been learning in your classes. And only after many exams and much practice are you able to call yourself a nurse. So if you look into yourself, you might determine that I want to be a nurse. But to actually be a nurse, you need to earn that part of your identity holds true for lots of things in life, doesn't it? Say you look into yourself and you say, I think I should be a married man or a married woman. Well, just thinking that doesn't make you a husband or a wife, does it? You need to earn that position. Lots of flowers, lots of nice words, lots of dates. And then perhaps if your proposal is worthy enough, you get the opportunity to one day call yourself a husband or a wife. And for those of you who are married, you'll know that To stay married, you need to work at your marriage and take effort and time and energy. Or perhaps you look at yourself and you say, I'm a sporting icon, maybe a tennis champion, something like that. We need to go out and work, don't you? Play matches, win the titles. You need to achieve that to be able to call yourself a tennis champion. Well, I want to suggest to you that in our world today, nearly all of our identity traits are earned or achieved. That means they can be lost, too. When you see something that's based on merit, if you fail to achieve that, then that identity trait can be lost. You can lose your job. Maybe you see yourself as a runner. Well, if you stop running, you can't necessarily keep calling yourself a runner. And Here's my argument. This is where the gospel is so very valuable. See, the identity that the gospel gives us, that's different. It's not earned. It's not achieved. It's freely given. See, last week I suggested that all of us who follow after Jesus, we have, in addition to all our other identity markers, like being a teacher or a doctor or a father or a wife or all those things, we are also known by God. God. We belong to God and we're God's children. I want you to see this morning that this identity, this being a child of God, it's not, not earned, it's not worked for, rather, it's something that's freely given. It's received rather than achieved. I hope you can see the difference here. Nearly every aspect of identity outside of the gospel requires a striving and earning and achieving. But the core identity that we have in the gospel, that's freely given. It's something that we can't earn. It's received by grace alone. We're adopted, aren't we, into the family of God. Let me show you that from the passage that Meredith read to us earlier. Come back with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to see just firstly from this passage, this first bit of Ephesians, just the reality that our identity is as those who have been adopted as the children of God. Come back with me to Ephesians Chapter 1, verse 3, on page 1,814 of your Bibles. This is what it says. says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. See, this is what makes the gospel such good news. It's what makes this Jesus story such great news that God chose us in Jesus before the creation of the world. He adopted us. He brought us into his family. That is the work of Jesus. See that core plank of our identity? We are children of God. Now, of course, that doesn't take away from the other aspects of our identity. You might still be a mum, a father, a lawyer, a doctor, a painter, a musician. But for those of us who put our faith, our trust and our hope in Jesus, we are also a child of God. hope you can see that from Ephesians chapter 1. Now, come with me over the page to Ephesians chapter 2 and I just want you to see what our role is in this adoption was. I want you to see that the work of becoming a child of God was done by Jesus and was given to us. We had nothing to do with it, in a sense. It's to do something that we, we can't earn. Rather, it's a gift. It's received rather than achieved. Have a look at um, verse 4 of chapter 2. Starting mid-sentence. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead so that no one can boast. So what role did we play in gaining an identity as a child of God? Well, none really, did we? We were dead. Can a dead person earn anything? Now you might once have worked with a colleague who may as well have been dead, the amount they contributed to what went on in the workplace. But here's the reality. A dead person can do nothing. But God raised us up. He saved us by grace. It's His gift. We don't earn it, it's received. I wonder if you ever received another gift like that, maybe an extraordinary and generous gift. Perhaps it was a surprise trip away, or a new car, or maybe when you were a kid, a BMX bike, or something like that. See, our identity as a child of God is given as a gift given to those who receive the offer of grace. We don't earn it. We might not earn it, but it does come with an inheritance. It's not very polite often, is it, to talk or think about inheritances. It's not something that we um, talk about or think of very often. I think it's because it has that feeling of a presumption that goes with it. But occasionally you do hear stories of those who come into a very big inheritance, sometimes that might be due to a long-lost aunt. And if it's very unexpected, it might even make the news. Maybe you're dreaming of a long-lost aunt who will leave you an inheritance. The good news of the Gospel is that as children of God, we share in the inheritance of Jesus. I wonder what you think that means. What does that mean? Are we to expect to share in Jesus' summer holiday home? Or maybe a share in Jesus' family dinner set. What does it mean to have an inheritance with Jesus? Well, come with me to Titus, Titus chapter 3. Titus you'll find in the section of the Bible with all the T's in it. So Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. Titus chapter 3 is on page 1857. I want you to see part of the inheritance that we have as children of God. I'm going to read to you from verse 4 this morning. Titus chapter 3, verse 4, says, When the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. You see what our inheritance involves here? Something to get pretty excited about, isn't it? It's an inheritance of eternal life. But that's not all. In other parts of the Bible, our inheritance is described as the kingdom of God. And for those of you who've been around for a while, if you were here with us when we were looking at Matthew a few weeks back, you can remember that the kingdom of God, well, that's worth selling everything you have in order to obtain it. The inheritance is very valuable So what have we seen so far? Let me just recap. We've firstly seen that the gospel offers us a rock-solid identity as a child of God. And contrary to pretty much every other identity marker that we might have, being a child of God is, is freely given. It's not something that we earn. And it's an identity of great value, for it comes with an inheritance, eternal life, and the kingdom of God. You might be wondering at this point, how can I be sure How can I be sure that I've received that gift? How can I be sure that I'm part of the family? In Romans 8, Paul seems to address that question. Verse 5, he says, The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. and By him we cry, (laughs) Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. See, the heirship and family language there how does that help answer our question Well, look at the words that of graham cole they're on the screen behind me i'm going to read this to you how do we know that we're part of god's family how do we know that we have this inheritance how can we be sure that we are adopted children of god well this is graham cole's answer the spirit is the answer he says in the second sentence the spirit jointly bears witness with our spirits that we are children of god The very fact that the Christian can pray as a child of the Father rather than address God like a slave addressing a master is evidence of the Spirit's witness and adoption. Put simply, we know that we have this inheritance because we can address a holy, holy, holy God like a child addressing a father. We know that the Father listens. And yet that's something we don't deserve. something that we've never earned on our own. But for those of us who are part of this family, it becomes a huge part of who we are. It's a core part of our identity. The last thing I want you to think through this morning is that idea of family resemblance. Being part of God's family means that we'll take on a family resemblance. I wonder if you've ever noticed this idea of family resemblance Now, sometimes it's the result of biology and genetics, isn't it? Children look like their parents. Certain physical attributes are passed on. Might be the colour of your hair, might be the height, colour of your skin, eye colour, those sorts of things. If your dad was bald, there's a good chance you might be bald as well. It's not perhaps quite so apparent at the moment, but my two girls are regularly asked if they're twins. That's a family resemblance. They look very similar to each other. But family resemblance extends beyond physical traits, doesn't it? It also affects our mannerisms, our quirks, our strengths. They all kind of add up to give you a family resemblance. I think it's no coincidence that certain families have gifts for certain things. Think, for example, of the Chapel family. Ian, Greg and Trevor all gifted cricketers and famous today for bowling underarm. Well, think of the War Brothers. Or in football, think of the Ablett family. See, there are family resemblances in these cases, aren't they? I wonder if you can see certain resemblances in the people who make up your family, things that you look the same or do the same or say the same. Perhaps it's as basic as choosing to drive one particular car over another. Maybe you're a Holden family or a Ford family. Maybe your family supports the crows. Others might support power. But perhaps it's as simple as the sort of clothes that you wear. Um, I've got a picture of a very famous family on the screen behind me. And if you have family traits like the royal family, that you'll get up together. This, of course, is actually not the royal family. This is them at Madame Tussaud's wax museum. I don't think the royal family have ever dressed up in Christmas sweaters. I've got another photo up on the screen behind me. See if you can work out who these two people are. This, of course, is me and my dad. And I want you to see that we're wearing matching jumpers. Can you see the family resemblance? There are many family resemblances that we have, aren't there? Maybe it's the way that you dress. Maybe it's the way that you speak. Maybe it's the mannerisms you have. Well, if we're part of God's family, if we've been adopted as heirs with Christ, perhaps it's expected then that we should begin to take on the resemblance of God's family. What do you think that looks like? Of course, the yardstick is not the person sitting next to you, but rather the yardstick is Jesus. As we become more like Him we take on the family resemblance that are associated with being part of God's family. And although we're adopted into the family of God by grace alone, bearing the family resemblance might take a little bit of discipline and patience and you might need some correction, you might need some help. I want you to see this from the second passage that Meredith read to us earlier, from Colossians chapter 3. As we read Colossians chapter 3, I think there's a kind of way in which we can read this, almost as like an undressing, taking off those old clothes, and a redressing, putting on the new clothes. Let me read to you from verse 8 of Colossians chapter 3. It says this, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices. Can you see what this passage is saying? Get rid of the old resemblances, the things that tied you to your old life. Get rid of the ways in which you used to walk. Take off the old clothes. Get rid of anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language. Stop lying. These are things from the old way. And then look at verse 10. Put on the clothes of the new family. Put on the self that's being renewed to make it look more like Jesus. Powerful image, isn't it? Taking off the old and putting on the new. Let me read to you. It says this. um, uh, Bear with each other in verse 13 and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive us, the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's a delightful picture, isn't it? Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And you see those traits in our passage there. Could you put on another layer of kindness this week? So These are the things that help us to bear the family resemblance of being in the family of God. I think it's worth being crystal clear at this point, being in the family of God, well, that's not something that we can earn. It's a gift given, it's free. It's a gift that's available to each one of us. It comes only with accepting and recognising the rule of Jesus and our need for him. It's a gift given in grace. But being in the family, that might shape us. It might alter the way in which we see life. It should change us so we take on the family resemblance. But can you see the order here? Join the family, that's a gift of grace. That happens first, and then begin to bear the family resemblance. That's the second stage. Take off the old and put on the new. Now, of course, even this is not something that we do on our own. It's part of being in the family. There is an element of discipline and effort that goes into the process of taking on the family resemblance. It's done with each other as we help each other. It's done with the help of the Spirit. So what have we seen today? Well, we've seen that the gospel offers us an identity as a child of God. It's an identity that is not earned. It's an identity that's given. We can't earn it at all. And we've seen the great benefit of being part of God's family. As a child of God, we have an inheritance. We are co-heirs with Jesus. It's an inheritance that means we have a great joy of also sharing in the resurrection the great joy of looking forward to eternal life and the kingdom of God. And we've seen that just like other earthly families, as children of God, we too should expect to bear the resemblances of our family. Their traits should rub, on up, rub off on us. Over time, we should begin to look like the family of God. Ultimately, that means that over time, we should begin to look more like Jesus as we take off the old clothes and put on the new ways of doing things. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you that in the gospel, you have given us an identity. We thank you that we can know who we are because of you. We thank you that we are loved by you, that we are chosen by you, that we belong to you, and that we are part of your family. We thank you that this is a gift given, that we don't need to earn it, that there's nothing we can do other than accept it. And Father, we ask that through your Spirit you would help to keep shaping us into the likeness of your Son. Help us to put on clothes that make us look like him. Help us to take on his family resemblance. Help us to be like Jesus in every way we ask. Amen.